0: Coming up on Naked Age. A founding member of the Federation of Canadian Naturists shares what went into bringing Canada to the international nudist stage.
1: Both sides decided to come together in 1989, I believe. And we started with consent of both organizations, the union that made it possible to be represented as one organization in the INF, in the International Federation.
0: Coming up right now on Naked Age. Stick around.
2: This episode of Naked Age is supported by a sponsorship grant from the American Association for Nude Recreation Education Foundation. Learn more about the Anner Education Foundation and their mission, or make a donation at aanr-ef.com.
0: Welcome to Naked Age, a nudist history series exploring uncommon stories and profiling unique people who have gone to extraordinary lengths to live a nude life. I'm your host, Evan Nix. In this episode, we'll meet Petra Scheller, a trailblazer who, through acumen and tenacity, championed Canadian naturism, redefined its public perception, and represented it on the international stage. This is Naked H. You're gonna make like phone ringing sound? I might add a phone ringing sound in there, sure. Hello? Hey, Stefan Deshane, owner of Bear Oaks, host of the naturist Living Show. It's me, Evan. How are you doing? Good good i'm uh nice to talk to you it's been a while yeah thank you for again for agreeing to do this
2: sure i'm always happy to help although i'm still not sure exactly what i'm agreeing to do
0: yeah right uh i'm sorry about that i don't mean to be cryptic or leave you in the dark i guess uh i just didn't want you to be overly prepared i wanted this to be a little off the cuff so i mean it's, it's you're, you're doing a, another
2: episode i naked age i assume and it's a, in your usual documentary style and so who is it this time
0: that's right. Well, it's somebody that I think you know. It takes place in Canada, which most listeners here will know is your realm. Uh, somebody by the name of Petra Scheller. Ah, oh, Petra. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yes,
2: of course. I've known her for a long time.
0: Yeah, you guys go way back. I understand you tried to purchase a nudist club once.
2: Yes, yes, actually. Uh, Petra and another gentleman and myself tried to buy a club we belong to. Glen Echo that had been around for a long time that we loved. And I still miss a little bit where my children, when they were young, were kind of were raised. And in fact, we signed a deal. So I actually say I, I we did I did buy the club because we oh. signed a deal.
0: Wow! And, yeah. and yet somehow you came to own Bear Oaks. How did that
2: happen? Well, I had given a long period for closure because I needed to figure out the financing. I certainly didn't have the money. I figured I would get the investors, but I guess over the summer people talked to them, and suddenly they came to me and they said, "Hey, you know, we've changed our mind. We want more money." And I went, uh, "No, we've signed a deal. So a deal's a deal." And they went, "Oh no, we're not closing then." And they basically kicked me out of the park. I couldn't go to the club anymore. Oh wow! Yeah. So I hired a lawyer and started suing to close the deal, you know, and that's always difficult to force a deal. Yeah. But I started going to another club called the New Forest that was in the area and the owners there said, hey, I uh, want to buy this place instead. We'll make you a good deal. And
0: Sure. And well, the rest is kind of history when it comes to Bear Oaks. Yeah. So I wanted to get your perspective on, uh, on Canada for my guest. Uh, the Like the country and what it is? <laughs> I would <laughs> like to know about Canada. Uh, yeah, well, you know, what I'm curious specifically about is this cultural blend between English and French Canada. What is the dynamic there? Oh, I would definitely not describe it as a blend. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Since there are very two distinct cultures. Do you want me to give you the history of what why we have French and English?
0: Yes, please give it to me.
2: Oh. Well, it started around 1620 when my father's first ancestor came to Canada. That's very important, but not really relevant to the story. Um, Around 1759, the gentle French people were attacked by the brutish, nasty British people. Basically what happened, France gave up Canada to the British. So the British took over Quebec. And generally speaking, they decided, oh, we'll just let them keep their language and keep their religion as long as the church keeps them under control. It was a bit of of an agreement. And that continued for a long time. Eventually, there was some resentment. And in 1976, I believe, the party of Quebec was elected, which was a separatist party. And that was because of this movement that we've called a Quiet Revolution. It was a whole movement, not just to regain the language, but to say, look, we're our own country, we're our own culture, we want to separate from Canada. And there were two votes that were held. Both were won or lost, depending which side you were on by a small margin. Um, Meaning that Quebec stayed in Canada, but a lot of, a lot of concessions were made. Meaning that Quebec is essentially independent within Canada. Did they ever call it Quebecxit? Quebecxit, no, like, like Brexit. <laughs> Quebecxit. No, no, that was that was not trendy
0: at the time. That would have been fun, but yeah, no. Hey, Stefan, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. This has been really helpful. Okay, take care. As a Canadian and as the president of the International Naturist Federation, Stéphane Duchesne understands better than most the complexities of representing diverse groups under one umbrella. Canada's cultural diversity, especially this contrast between its English-speaking provinces and French-speaking Quebec, provides an interesting case study for examining the historical challenges that have hindered the establishment of a pan-Canadian nudism movement in the past. Today, we'll dive into the history of Canada's several nudism naturism movements, we'll hear the stories of various Canadian nudist leaders, and learn how two distinct regions found common ground and forged a cooperative partnership. Their aim was to represent Canadian naturists across Canada and internationally. And in the second half, we'll meet Petra, a woman whose relentless advocacy and effort made her a face of Canadian naturism. And all of this is coming up right after this.
3: If you're someone who's ever wondered about the cultural aspects of nudity in art in the world, look no further than Planet Nude. At Planet Nude, we go beyond skin-deep discussions of nudism and delve into the current cultural, intellectual, and philosophical topics around nudity, exploring the way it's been used in art and activism, and the impact it has in our lives today. With a diverse group of contributors, Planet Nude brings thought-provoking essays and art uncovering everything from the history of nudism to the latest news. Join the close, free conversation at Planet Nude by subscribing on Substack today at planetnude.co. See you on Planet Nude. Organized
0: nudism in Canada can be traced back to 1939, beginning with a small group from Vancouver forming the Vantan Club, Canada's first official nudist club. Among them was Ray Canette, a first-time social nudist with his wife, Mildred. In the years that followed, the Canets began to network with budding nudist groups in nearby Washington and Oregon. During this time, Ray crossed paths with my own ancestor, Rudolph Johnson, who ran a nudist camp called the Cobblestone Suntanner's Club on his property not far from Yelm, Washington, in the 1940s. Frustrated with the lack of regional representation in the National Association of Nudists, known then as the American Sunbathing Association, nudists across the United States began forming regional associations, which focused more on the particular interests of nudists and nudist clubs in each distinct area. First, the Eastern Nudist Conference in 1945, then the Western Sunbathing Association in 46. Rudolph Johnson and other Pacific Northwest nudists laid the foundation for the Northwest Sunbathing Association in 1947. Ray Kinnett was a keen observer at these initial meetings.
3: I remember Mervyn Mounts from Spokane was very much a part of those meetings, and he at the time paid me a compliment that I was always able to contribute to the exact wording of various ideas that they wanted to incorporate in the Constitution and bylaws of the Northwest Sunbathing Association. So when that crystallized and came to fruition, they had their first foundation meeting at the Cobblestone Lodge south of Yelm, Washington. I went home to Canada, and I sent out a newsletter to everybody, and I told them that It was time for us to do something like that in Canada. Out of that grew the first foundation meeting of the Canadian Sunbathing Association. It was attended by almost all of the nudists in British Columbia and nobody from the East. But we formed the Canadian Sunbathing Association and Roy McCaig was elected the first president. I was elected the secretary. The
0: Canadian Sunbathing Association was a pan-Canadian group, made up of Eastern and Western regions, representing nudists all over Canada. But as Canet was well-connected with the larger and more established American Association, he and others made arrangements for the Western CSA to officially affiliate with the ASA in 1954. The Eastern region preferred to remain independent, and the groups officially split the Eastern CSA would go on to face its own challenges, and after many negotiations finally disbanded in 1972, a Canadian nudist federation was formed from its ashes, but only lasted four years. With the disintegration of these organizations, nudists in Eastern Canada and Quebec were left in a precarious situation with no organizational support. Stepping into this void in Quebec in 1977, emerged a man named Michel Vais. This Tunisian-born Quebecer emerged as a steadfast advocate for naturism, embodying the spirit of unity the community yearned for when he founded the Quebec Federation of Naturism, or FQN.
4: I was born in Tunisia, Tunis, Tunisia, 1946. And my parents moved to Canada, to Montreal, when I was 12, in 1958. At the age of 17, I discovered theater. I started joining an amateur theater in old Montreal that did avant-garde theater. And that encouraged me to continue my education, but in French, in University of Montreal, and study theater. Okay. I wrote some plays. I directed some plays. And finally, I did a PhD in theater studies in Paris. I taught for about 12 years in different universities, and eventually I became a theater critic. I, well, I was one of the founders of the Quebec Association of Theater Critics, and I had this association join the International Association of Theater Critics, and, uh, and then I became Secretary General of this International Association wow. of Theater Critics.
0: Whatever it was that Michelle possessed which impelled him to be so pioneering in his career as a theater critic, clearly drove him as a naturist as
4: well. I started doing my PhD in France, my doctorate of theater studies, and I had a teacher in the university uh, in 1972 who was teaching mime, you know, how to express yourself with your body. And this teacher said, if you want to express yourself with your body, first of all, you must accept it. And he said, the best way to accept it, go to the naturists. That's what he said. So the, my girlfriend brought me to have fun, you know, going that. I bought some magazines, which I found on the Lique de la Seine, you know, the, the dwarfs of the Seine River in Paris. And, and, and I found out old naturist magazines. And then I discovered that there are many, many naturist clubs in, in France. And in fact, it's the leader of naturism in the world. And this is where I met some very nice people who told me that when I would go back to Paris, there are clubs and you can go, you can go swimming, you can go to uh, saunas, you know. There are many other activities that you can enjoy in with naturist groups. So this is how it all started, you know. <music> When we came back to Montreal, after my four years in Paris, I had my PhD, then I I wanted to see if any such thing existed in Quebec. And I found out that some naturist clubs had just started in the 70s. So I joined one of them, La Pommerie, and I still have my caravan there. And that's 45 years ago. And this is where I founded the Quebec Naturist Federation. What year would that have been? I founded it in 1977. I went. I went to La Pommerie when it opened in 1976, and the following year, I decided to get some people from La Pommerie, some naturists, interested in in having activities all year round. You know, not only during the summer. So I said we could rent a swimming pool. All I need is find one. Of course, it wasn't easy, but I finally found one which accepted to rent for naturists. And I said, I need 25 people who each will pay, for example, $20 or $25, and that will ensure a, a number of sessions, you know, and then I was hoping to attract more people. This is how the Federation started in 1977. Wow.
0: As Vais had done with his Theatre Critics Association years before, He soon sought affiliation for his naturist group in the International Naturist Federation, or INF. FQN achieved that affiliation in 1981, becoming the first Canadian federation to join the international conference. Because FQN only represented Quebec, one of the terms of their admittance to INF was that if a group representing another region in Canada should ever come along seeking to join INF, FQN would have to share their seat.
4: Eight years later, I got a letter from Doug Beckett saying, we want to create a naturist uh, federation for Canada. Well, he said nudist at that time. So (laughs) I'm the only one who replied. He told me later. I told him, look, it's a very interesting project, but we already have a naturist federation in Quebec and we are recognized by the International Naturist Federation. Of course, So as the only one, the only federation in Canada. I told him, look, We are very active in Quebec. We have a lot of members. We had as many as 2,500 members at that time, you see. So I said, look, I encourage you to create something for English Canada, and then together we can support each other to." Uh, I mean to help each other and so on. So this is how it all started. We met together with Petra. Petra was there already. Yes. We met together in uh, in Ontario, and so we had negotiations because some people in the on the board, the, the the first board of the FCN, they wanted to call it Canadian Nature's Federation. The whole thing, you see. I said, sure. no, no, no. We already have a Quebec Nature's Federation. So if I mean, you can call it. Uh, uh, Canadian Nature Federation, but it won't include Quebec. We are two parts, you know, like sure. sovereignty association. We're not, we're not yet an independent uh, uh, country, but still, right. we are different. We are, we work in French, and we are, have different uh, ways of working. And we created a union, union of Quebec and Canadian Nature Federations, and there is an entente. An agreement, you know, which was signed by the president of the International Nature's Federation, who came to Montreal for that. Wow.
3: In 1988,
0: after months of negotiations and concessions, the FQN-FCN union finally achieved its objective of acceptance in INF. Both groups were very optimistic about this representation. In many ways, this is just the start of the journey we are going to explore today. But first, I'd like to go back in time just a little bit.
1: You're safe and sound now, back in good old 1955.
0: 1955? In 1955, Glen Echo Park was founded by Ed and Mary Todorowski. Initially leased to the Toronto Gymnosophical Society, it was later run by the Todorowskis themselves. Doug Beckett first learned about Glen Echo in 1958, reading Ray Connett's column in Sunbathing for Health magazine.
3: So we contacted a club member whose name was in the magazine, one of the officers of the club, and uh, were interviewed, and then had the directions of how to get to the club, and turned up one June day when the temperature was about 50, Everybody was dressed quite warmly, but it very quickly warmed up, fortunately.
0: Doug and his wife, Helen, stayed members of Glen Echo for many years, witnessing the club's development from a raw, natural camp to a rather developed resort club. By the mid-80s, Doug was thinking about retiring from his engineering practice. He believed this was the perfect moment for nudists in Canada to come together, assist each other, share information, and build relationships. During that summer, Doug, together with two volunteers, began what we now know as the Federation of Canadian Naturists, or FCN. Over more than 30 years as a nudist in Canada, Doug had developed a vision of a unified Canadian nudist organization, learning from past groups' triumphs and failures. Beckett knew that FCN had to be done in a collaborative way, which included his French-speaking neighbors in Quebec. And one thing that they were doing exceedingly well was producing a magazine. Theirs, called A Naturel, had been named by a popular vote of its membership, and was a full-color French-language naturist magazine. Beckett, impressed with their work, came up with an English translation of the title A Naturel, and that's how the FCN's magazine Going Natural was born. Doug was a passionate writer and important voice, but he knew he would need help from someone who could serve as the magazine's editor. This is where Petra Scheller officially enters our story.
3: And our next guests are naturalists, and we're going to explore the Naturalist Society with Stephane Deschens and Petra Scheller. They've been naturalists for many years and with the Canadian International Naturist Federation. Welcome to Chronicle. Would it be okay
1: to just correct you slightly? You introduce us as naturalists, which is, we're actually naturists. Okay. Naturalists are the bird watchers and they kind of get us confused with them and that's the distinction. But naturist is, is the, the word for OK, us.
3: now what is a naturist?
0: With an education in journalism and literature and public relations experience, Berlin-born Petra Scheller had the tenacity to become a significant force for Canadian naturism. As a founder of the Federation of Canadian Naturists, she pushed for a strategy targeting the general public instead of just existing naturist clubs. And as a writer and editor of its magazine, Going Natural, she influenced the movement with her voice. She led the effort to foster and expand FCN to include the rest of English Canada's existing naturist groups. She traversed the country engaging with nudist leaders like Judy Williams and the Wreck Beach Preservation Society in Vancouver, or participating in conventions in Calgary and visiting numerous nudist clubs and camps. She was instrumental in the FCN's drive for affiliation with the International Naturist Federation, viewing this as crucial for Canadian naturism's prosperity. She then brought her skills to support the public relation efforts of INF itself. During these years, she was a visible and vocal advocate for naturism and nudism, frequently appearing in the media as an open naturist. She traveled the globe promoting Canadian naturism, collecting unique experiences, and developing a -a one-of-a-kind view on the movement. And I recently had the privilege of hearing some of these captivating stories and views firsthand as she recounted her nudist career over a Zoom call from her home in Ontario. What is your earliest memory of nudity?
1: You know what? It isn't in Germany. (laughs) I was 12 when I came to Canada in 1967. So the actual nudist experience happened here in Canada. And it was a result of a friend from high school. She's the one that introduced me somewhat reluctantly, to Glen Echo Park with her family back in the, uh, I want to say, early 70s. Because, you know, I came to Canada not speaking a word of English. And so going into public school was kind of like being the odd person out. Not only that, I arrived the first day in school with pants on, which apparently then was no good. And they sent me home again to put on a, a skirt or something like that. So that was Canada then in 1967.
0: Before that, you grew up in West Berlin. Is that right?
1: Yeah, uh, I was born in 1955, sort of 10 years after the Second World War stopped. And uh, my parents were still thinking of, you know, building a new life in a new world. Post -post war world. So, anyways, it did seem pretty good. Germany, thanks to the US Marshall Plan and everything, was uh, on its way up industrially and democratically and so on. So, I mean, I grew up wearing bathing suits, going to uh, public swimming pools with my parents. And, you know, I was not a member of a nudist club per se because. We just didn't have any friends that did that, but we were very comfortable at home being naked amongst my parents and myself. We, we saw each other naked, and that was kind of the German thing to do. But out in public, we were bathing suits. So, fast forward to 1965, when we first came to Canada to visit my grandmother, who'd already emigrated to Toronto. I was 10 years old, and the biggest thing at that time, for me, was the massive amounts of ice cream we could be getting here compared to Germany so that was this that was the key for me but my parents thought of Canada as uh, a beautiful country you know n- natural fewer people than in Germany the Russians seemed very far away from us here so they started the process of emigrating and we emigrated to Canada in 1967 we got the the visas and then here we were And then I went to school as the the crowd who didn't speak any English. <laughs> and I made friends, though, a couple of years down the down the road and with a Hungarian girlfriend. And we spent a lot of time together after school. And at some point she said, you know, why don't you come to the cottage with us? And I said, that's great. I'll tell my parents. She said, well, you have to talk to my parents first. I said, OK, uh, because it was not just a cottage. It was Glen Echo Nudis Park. And... Uh, So my parents met her parents. They said, sure, let's give it a try. And sometime I don't remember exactly the year we joined, but it must have been around 1972 or so. We became members at Glen Echo Park. I blended right in, you know, clothes came off because that's what my girlfriend did. And we went on to play volleyball and swam and, and laughed and joked as sort of free pubescent teenagers and um, my dad blended right in but my mom had a little bit of hesitation it took her like she said eight hours <laughs> because, <laughs> because by the time the the weekend was over we decided to become members because it was a very nice social social club um, many of the members there were in fact of german heritage and spoke german so in a way we kind of blended in there And. Because of that, the, the contacts my parents made there and I made there, my dad actually got a number of jobs, in because he didn't speak all that well English. And he, be, he got some jobs through some of the members at Glen Echo Park, and that's how our life progressed, you know, from there on in.
0: Fascinating to me that your family gave this a shot because of your friend, and your family ended up becoming members there. Obviously, you became a member there and were a member there for years, but uh, your parents, did they continue going too?
1: Absolutely, yeah, um, they they did. And I mean, we, we stayed members more or less. I want to say until it closed. It, it opened in 1955, in, uh, Glen Echo did, which is the year of my birth, strangely enough. But it closed, I think it was around 2009.
0: How and when did it go from being just something that you enjoyed to something that you really felt you could become an advocate for? The
1: first time I considered becoming more of an advocate for naturism was not because I really, really wanted to. I was quite happy to sit on the lawn at Glen Echo and go swimming in the pond, play some tennis, volleyball, and read my book on the lawn until Doug Beckett came by and asked for volunteers. So, you know, it was a gentle twisting of arms, and I said, oh, sure, I can help with the newsletter. I, after all, uh, studied you know journalism and uh, writing, and I'm good with words, so why not? And that's where it started. Once you're in it, you actually understand and like what you're doing. I was looking up a lot of the clubs that were in existence then in Canada and Ontario and even Quebec, and uh, many of them don't exist anymore, which is, I suppose, a sad sign for a family nudism, but that's the way it has gone here in Canada. The FCN, Federation of Canadian Naturists, mm-hmm. was a standalone organization that was started by Doug Beckett, his ideals, and his uh, attempt at getting more volunteers involved where I come in. We then started the FCN and the, the magazine Going Natural. The first magazine came out in the summer of 1986.
0: Going Natural was the magazine for the Federation of Canadian Naturists?
1: It it was. Okay. And, and still is. Doug Beckett had in mind to to not just have it a local organization. We wanted it to be a federal, countrywide organization. And there was always... the Canada is a huge country, so the West had Wreck beach, had temperate climate, but they always considered the south of the West, which is Washington, Oregon, California, Mm -hmm. closer to their, their views than the east and it was farther away so the western canadian sunbathing association was always affiliated with the american organization who was by that well established the american sunbathing association at the time the asa now anner sure and we wanted to pull them back into canada so how do we do that already in Quebec, who are always a little bit separatist-minded, they already had their French-speaking Fédération Québécoise du Naturisme, the FQN. They had a, a good organization with many clubs going, and we decided to try to get closer to them and come together under one umbrella so that we can be represented into the International Nature's Federation, which at the time was headquartered in Antwerp, Belgium. So the uh, president of FQN, Michel Baiz, and Doug Beckett, and all the volunteers from both sides decided to come together in 1989, I believe. And we started with consent of both organizations, the union that made it possible to be represented as one organization in the INF, in the International Federation. Wow. So that took some doing, <laughs> but uh, it worked. And the FQN, the Quebecers had their newsletter, which was fabulous and big and and colorful and they had a color cover and here we are with the cut and paste of a black and white little newsletter that we started with and uh, we got a volunteer who was a printer to lay it out and to print it that was all doug beckett's doing and he just pulled us all together and then we tried to entice the western organization to come closer to the federal organization in canada and less reliant on the American organization, who, which they were not too interested in giving up <laughs> the Western Canadian Sunbathing Association, but, you know, they saw our need and our wants, and certain members of the leadership were quite comfortable in, in trying to help us with their ideas. We wanted to create um, a membership for people to go to That will give them information that they previously did not have from a physical, psychological, legal perspective. And at the time, there was no internet and no Googling. And so it became very important to have a piece of promotional material, which became our Going Natural, in order to keep that group together and to make it grow as a group.
0: I'm curious to know a little bit more about you working on Going Natural. As the editor, you had some education in journalism, is that right?
1: Yes, at university I took literature Spanish, French, uh, German, and English literature. And then I had a bit of a, a misstep with a very short lasting marriage. And I went to France to live there for about six months before coming back to Canada and pick up a journalism degree. My ideal was to be a foreign correspondent, which didn't happen because I got sidetracked into an organization that gave me a job that was interesting at the time, but not really fulfilling, which I left in the late 80s. And then I met my husband, and I had a business with a partner that was called Oakwood Communications which was public relations marketing firm that wrote and produced material for corporations, newsletters, annual reports, that kind of thing. I've never lost the desire to follow foreign journalists. I still do that with a passion, but I I myself never took that path.
0: Do you think that that informed your approach to writing for Going Natural in some way?
1: I think so. I started because Doug Beckett started the magazine, and he was the editor, and I produced some material for writing, and then, and then I took over as editor, and then uh, Paul Rappaport became a fabulous editor for many years. We had more members at the time, therefore more money coming in, and we hired an actual designer to create a new logo for our magazine and the layout was done by the designer as well and it was really a good looking magazine full of photos and color and mm, it was a great. it still is good yeah. and it's still a bilingual publication so there is Michelle Baiz, the former president of the FQN, Mm -hmm. is still doing translation for the English articles that are submitted, and then they publish it in the the Going Natural. So that's still a symbiotic relationship.
0: What were some of the challenges you faced with publishing a magazine?
1: Well, first of all, getting material together for Going Natural was like pulling teeth. Um, it, it, and I think that's the same for anything that you produce uh, people will say oh I have ideas but to get them to actually contribute in, in word or writing or photos photos was always a very difficult thing because there were many people who to this day who were nudists at the club but none of their families, their work environment, nobody knew that they were nudists And I have many examples of that. And I said to myself then, in my early years of going into the workforce, that I would try never to do that. And to this day, I have never had to hide it anywhere. And wherever I have worked or lived, they all have known about it. And I, to to my knowledge, have never had a negative experience because of it. But that is not the case with many members. So the hardest part was getting photos. So that's why many of the early magazines have a lot of my photos, because I I didn't care. I I had a a purpose in mind that it didn't didn't affect me. So I can use my photos. So I use my travel photos, my travel experiences, my INF experiences, all the clubs that I have visited. Mostly Cypress Cove, because that was my uh, favorite club outside of Kissimmee. And I remember it being an orange growth, never mind the gorgeous big club that it is now. I used my connections to, you know, the Hadleys and Paradise Lakes, Lake Como. Those were the ones I used to visit because being Canadian, we had too much cold weather, and I always was drawn to somewhere south. So that's how I contributed to the magazine.
0: Well, you mentioned the Hadleys, and they were sort of like uh, nudist. Um... I don't royalty is the word I don't want to use the word royalty but they were sort of like uh, the face of of the American Sunbathing Association and and American nudism for several years and were very very involved you you knew them yeah. both
1: oh yes yeah Jim and Pete very well very well I have yeah I have photos of them all and I was very close friends with Dean and his first wife yeah so I have that history for sure
0: Jim Hadley along with his wife Pete and son Dean, founded Cypress Cove on a former Florida orange grove in 1964. Following the lead of folks like Ray Connett, the Hadleys believed that it was paramount for their club to be actively involved in the textile community around them, and over the next several years, they grew their club to become the premier family naturist resort in the United States. Jim grew more and more vocal about American nudism, and in 1980 became president of the American Sunbathing Association. He passed away in 1992. Pete died in 2000. It's interesting, you know, and I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. You, you sort of became, I'm sure, in some ways, the face of FCN and going natural because your photos were all over the place. That's right. you know, that may have not have been in, intentional, but um, I think maybe there was a similar effect with the Hadleys or, or something like that.
1: Well, I, I think I am just looking at a book I have in my hand here that I got from them. It's called The Nudist Park Management Guide by James Hadley and Bernice Goldberg and it was written in 1986. It's a hardcover book that explains how to successfully run a nudist club to start and run one. Jim Hadley had a vision when he bought those acres of orange grove. Not only did he have a vision for creating a nudist environment where people can be safe, but he realized how important it was to connect to politicians in the area that you live. You had to be on a good footing, good understanding. You had to contribute something to your community that you are operating in. And he made his club not an outlier, but an integral part of the community, which is something that is um, not well understood, I think, in many of the smaller clubs that wanted to get started. You cannot become something if you don't acknowledge what you want to do with it and stand behind your ideas and product, if you will. You know, there's no point in, in advertising if you can't say, I am, I like, it is good. What's the point, right?
0: Right. Right. Right.
1: Back to uh, what can be and should be done correctly and and uh, that is a straight line to Stefan de Shannon Baroque. Because he he I mean, I remember giving him all this information when we first met. He was interested in Jim Hadley's book. He was interested in how something is run. You know, he is a businessman in his own right, so he has and understanding of what it takes to promote yourself from a business perspective and he has taken all those lessons and put it to use for his park Bear Oaks Park and so he and and he is connected to the political and social and community personnel in his area and he's successful with it there was even a time i mean we have here up and on the major highways we used to have a sign right there saying turn right off this highway to get to glen echo park at the time nobody knew it was really a nudist park it was called tgs the toronto Gymnosophical society of all things (laughs) Uh, and that was sort of their legal term but nobody what the hell does that mean right but (laughs) They, they themselves didn't want to blare it out to the public as well. But now sure. there is a turn right and you get to Bear Oaks Family Nudist Resort. And it's right there, smack in the middle of the high, on the side of the highway. So, again, if you want to promote it and if you have nothing to hide because you think it's a healthy uh, lifestyle, then then you stand behind it.
0: At some point, you attempted to buy Glen Echo. Is that right?
1: It was Stefan. Uh, He decided, um, well, he has a passion for it, as you well know. Yes. He decided, why don't we try to get a group together to buy Glen Echo Park? Because Eddie and Mary Todorowsky, the owners, were thinking of retiring. No, it was 2004 when Stefan had this wonderful environmental assessment done we actually achieved a number of investors, including myself, to get the money together for the price that Stefan had negotiated. And it seemed like all was going along quite nicely when we had a meeting with all the members of Glen Echo Park and and Mary presented it to the members, to the membership. The commitment with the money towards buying Glen Echo was there the owners, Mary and Eddie Todorowski, had uh, somehow decided it wasn't the right deal. It turned into something that wasn't that pleasant. You know, we kind of um, disbanded, sure. and the yeah,
0: deal fell apart.
1: And it, and the deal just fell apart. Eventually, Glen Echo uh, was sold to a private individual keeping it a a private property and it is no longer uh, a a park, a nudist park. So, and then by that time I think Stefan had set his sights on something else and uh, you know the story of uh, Bear Oaks family nudist park.
0: We we touched a little bit on your involvement with INF but maybe you could just clarify what that was and and how that started
1: yeah that started because once we started with the FQNFCN union in order to promote the national oneness to the international organization the international naturist federation the INF we had to make some sort of contact and representation at their meetings, at their congresses. So because I spoke German, English, French, and I had some Spanish, they thought I was a good candidate to be the one that goes over there to represent that union. And we alternated between who goes every two years. One, one time it would be an FQN member from Quebec. One time it would be an FCN member from English-speaking Canada, and that's how we, we did it. And so I've been over there a number of times to the various Congresses, and at some point, somebody thought it was a good idea to put my name up to become a member of the executive committee of the INF in the public relations function. And then I was voted in for that. Then I became the PR person, and then, of course, whenever the congresses happened, uh, one year they did it at Paradise Lakes. And so I was there not as an FCN member, but I was there as the INF PR person. (laughs) And uh, that's how it went for a number of years, in the late 80s, early 90s. I guess you kind of wanna know what the INF does and why does it exist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well yeah, that's probably worth sharing a little history on. Real quick, let's turn back to Stefan Deschain, who happens to be the current president of INF. Stefan, in thirty seconds or less, what is the INF and why does it exist?
2: Well in, in English it's the International Nature's Federation and it it was founded in nineteen fifty three to bring together all the federations. So it's it's also it's an association of association. It exists to help coordinate international naturism.
0: Perfect. 15 seconds. You nailed it.
1: The IMF has its own issues, you know, internal European ones and then international ones. The main one was when the uh, American organization ANR pulled out because they didn't want to spend the membership fee. Membership fees are based on the number of members you have in the country. Mm-hmm. And of course, the largest one has been the uh, has been ANR and and when you pull those dollars together, they thought, mm, you know, I'm assuming they assumed that it, they said it was better used at home than spend elsewhere. Doesn't that reflect political realities? <laughs> it? Sure. Uh, anyways, that's what happened. They moved out, but the INF continued to function because it was always seen as a very European centered organization, which of course, it was and sure. is. <laughs> but the Europeans also wanted, just like Canada wanted to reach out to the U.S. and to the world, Europe wanted to reach out to South America and to North America and, and Asia and Africa. And cultural mores come into play when, when you try to start something. Sure. And not every country is open to, to even allowing or leaving Parcels of land to naked people. <laughs> it's not every country is open to it, but I, I think it's worth while fighting for, especially in in countries where um, where there is uh, diversity. People say, "Why should I belong to an organization when I can just go, you know, up, uh, you know, two hours from here and, and be on my own? I don't need an organization to be nude." But that's not the only reason, as we know.
0: What can you tell me about Bear Necessities?
1: Bear Necessities started maybe a couple of years before I went on my first Bear Necessities trip, which would have been in 91 or 92, somewhere around there. And Bear Necessities started with Nancy and Tom Teeman, who... They had friends that they so, did new, uh, social nudity with, and they decided to rent a boat, like a fishing boat or something with something like 20 or more people. And that was such a success. Basically, that's how it kind of grew into uh, the company that it is today, where wow. they do at least two trips a year. COVID kind of put a damper on it, but they, they're back in full force right now. Uh, So because I was editor and because I was involved in nudism and I I was a known name in nudism, I approached them to see if they would allow me to go on the cruise uh, on a free trip. If I do interviews that I will then write about in our magazine. And they said, yes. So I got to go on a free trip, (laughs) which was amazing. Wow. And it was, uh, I think, one of the larger ones then because nobody did what they did. Uh, Everybody did maybe, you know, you can hire a sailboat. There's the odd sailboat operator. But those were all like, you know, 10, 12 people that organized it themselves. But Bare Necessities tried and did make a business out of it. And um, so I went for free. I did the write-up, and I continued writing on their cruises by when other people submitted their material, I would edit it and and publish it in our magazine, huh. and I got to be friends with them, with the Tom and Nancy, and uh, so I was invited back not just as a writer. I was invited back as bare necessity staff for that time of the cruise, so that I would be on call with I don't know. I want to say. Fifteen, twenty 20 other people that came from all over the United States and maybe even Europe who were sort of helpers, organizers, along with the bare necessities staff to help move hundreds of people around, give them information, be nice to them, tell them to do what not to do, stand at the restaurants, make sure they don't come naked into the restaurant, they have to wear clothes, you know, properly dressed at least for the restaurant and Google the kinds of jobs that don't take photos of people that don't want to be photographed and all of that kind of stuff. Sure. So I've done that for many years.
0: Uh, How cool. Do you still do that?
1: Uh, I I still get invited. I have actually declined in the last three cruises because of COVID and because um, it wasn't convenient, let me put it that way, to go.
0: Well, I'm curious about that. You know, um, you haven't been on this cruise in a while. What does nudism or nudity look like in your life now?
1: Well, I have a hot tub out back in my yard and that's accessible nude. So I do that, and and in the summer I have a cottage, which I go to and invite my friends. I have a hard time inviting friends over that aren't nudists. They understand I'm a nudist, and they say, oh, Petra, you can be nude, it doesn't matter if we're not. Well, it's not quite the same when you go naked in front of people who don't share your passion. Right. Even though they understand, it just doesn't feel quite right. So I tend to invite people only that are comfortable being naked themselves. Which sometimes gets those people who would love to come up, <laughs> but aren't uh, invited um, because I'm on an island. Um, nobody can just drive up. They have to really announce themselves. I have to pick them up from the marina with my boat. And it just, it's, 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 you know, I, I want to be around naked people. So in the summer, when the sun is shining, when there's a lake out front that I can swim in, um, I have a really hard time swimming with a bathing suit, and I will actually not do it. I have a neighbor here who has a beautiful pool, and she invites me over all the time. And I've been in it once with a sw- with a swimsuit, and I told her, I said, "I'm sorry, I can't do this." She says, "Well, you can, you can." Again, she says, "You don't have to wear a bathing suit. Said, and you are. So, again, it, it feels it, there's that awkwardness between, even though I'm allowed to, I don't feel right about it. So sure. that's the extent of my nudity. Of course, at home, I'm I'm naked. But then, of course, it's easy. <laughs> yeah, I guess your, your cat is
0: probably a nudist too, huh?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She tries to shed her fur by throwing <laughs> up a lot. But yes.
0: Where is Canadian nudism going?
1: I'm not sure to answer that question. And I think it reflects sort of my greater concern with how naturism fits anyone's life or how any issue fits into anyone's life, given that we now have access to the internet, which is so vast. If Google died tomorrow, I think we would all be lost. (laughs) Google will uh, allow you to um, type in, you know, naturist activities in my area and boom, you get it or not. Or where are the closest uh, nudist beaches? Where are the what country accepts nudism, you know, and bang, you have an answer. Yeah. And um, so you don't need an organization to tell you where you can go and where you can't, which was one of the problems in the past. 30 years ago, that wasn't that easy. Right. So the the where does organized naturism go from here? I don't think it's that easy to answer, and I'm not sure I have an answer. I don't see it growing in leaps and bounds mm-hmm. uh, unless something changes and by that i mean the attitude towards it too and <laughs> and um honesty is is a factor and again, i bring it back to politics because i just watched those <laughs> lies and and it is it is it is pernicious it's everywhere that even even when we go online when we do instagram when we put photos on facebook we present a face that isn't the day to day the real we make ourselves look better yeah we try to and nobody is real anymore and and i think that's part of part of what we're all facing on every level in every segment of society and on every subject We started out this interview saying that if you can't stand behind your passion and talk freely about it to everybody around you, how can it grow? I don't think we've solved that problem yet. My, my ideals and ideas have switched a little bit, not away from naturism and nudism, but in order to get something done, it has to be done at a sort of higher political level you have to fight your legal battles in order to win pieces of land for your recreation
0: right you can't do it by bickering on a federation committee
1: no (laughs) (laughs) no and and you can't now and now you can't do it on just saying uh here's my twitter opinion i've done my part right it's the same thing yeah um nothing gets done unless you organize to get something done And those passionate enough will continue to do it forever, as as many people have to fight for naturism worldwide.
0: Although she rightly deserves recognition as one of the founders and driving forces behind the establishment of the FCN, alongside Doug and Helen Beckett, the most valuable contribution Petra Scheller made to Canadian naturism was to turn it outward in the late 1980s and early 90s. She revolutionized the movement, pushing it to come out from behind the high walls of rural nudist camps and into the spotlight of mainstream public life. She was an effective and inspiring woman leader in a movement which, like society around it, was, and still is, dominated by men. Petra is humble, insisting that she was just a small part of the efforts of many, which is true. Still she was a very visible and valuable part of Canadian nudism, becoming recognized on a national and international level, using her public relations and marketing knowledge and putting her own name and image on the line. Of course, there are other important figures in the story who are also worth recognizing. Ray Connett, an early nudism pioneer who established the Canadian Sunbathing Association, who later in life moved south to California with his dear wife Mildred to establish Glen Eden Sun Club. One of his many other legacies is the Western Nudist Research Library, where I currently volunteer as a director on the board. Much of the research in this episode is due to their support. Michelle Vais, who established the modern model for organized Canadian nudism in Quebec, who strengthened the voice of nudism in Eastern Canada and beyond. In addition to his tireless editorial contributions to Going Natural for 40 years, his experiences and insights on the naturist lifestyle also found their way into the pages of his book, *Nu Simplement, or *Nude Simply, Nudity, Nudism, and Naturism. And of course, Doug Beckett, who passed away in 2012 at 89 years old, after an influential nudist career as member of the Toronto Gymnosophical Association at Glen Echo and founder of FCN and Going Natural with his wife Helen in 1986, it was Doug who first enlisted Petra's involvement into advocacy for naturism. Stéphane Duchesne has already made one small effort to commemorate these people, which members of his nudist club Bear Oaks will recognize. If you ever need to ask directions around the property there, you might be given a path that takes you onto Vies Lane, down Canet Drive, or past
2: Beckett Circle. I like the history. I want people to remember the history of naturism. It it means something if people know it. And it's nice to know that we've been around for a while. It's not just something that we invented last week. Um, So yeah, so all the streets are named after people. I try to name them a lot after Canadians, but every time I name something, I try to have some meaning behind it. And it's on our website.
0: Uh, interesting. Um, I When you expand, any plans to have like a Petra place or like a Scheller, I don't know, uh, avenue?
2: I, I, I'm not saying no, and I'm not saying yes. Uh, <laughs> sure. Until until I do it, I don't want to commit or you know raise hopes or anything like that.
0: So yeah, that's a Petra certainly had a very important role course, Stéphane Duchesne is quite the face of Canadian naturism himself. If some of the earlier story about the Canadian Sunbathing Association and Ray Canet was familiar to you, it may have been because we told this story in more detail in Ray Canet's own voice in a prior episode of Naked Age, North American Nudist Pioneers. I encourage you to revisit that, and I'll include a link in the show notes. The clip of Doug Beckett talking about his first trip to Glen Echo came from the Naturist Living Show podcast, episode 16, Lessons from Naturist History. I'll also include a link to that episode in the show notes too. One final note. Much of the research work for this episode was done by Curtis Atkins, a Toronto-based writer and researcher. Following his research work on this episode... He became involved in FCNFQN, and in a delightful twist that underscores the fact that this history, we tell, is still being written, he has recently been added to the editorial board for Going Natural. This episode of Naked Age included music licensed with permission from the Independent Music Licensing Collective, as well as sourced from the Free Music Archive under a Creative Commons license. Please see the show notes for detailed credits. Special thanks to Stefan Duchesne, Carl Hilt, Curtis Atkins, Petra Scheller, Michelle Vais, Shannon Lewis, Timothy Sargent, Andy Tabbitt, the Western Nudist Research Library, the American Nudist Research Library, and the Anner Education Foundation. If you enjoy Naked Age, please head over to your podcast platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Join the Naked Age Planet Nude community with a paid subscription to our Substack newsletter, Planet Nude. For just $5 a month, you can support the research and content that goes into the newsletter as well as this podcast, both of which are labors of love. Plus, the membership comes with exclusive access to articles and community threads and other fun stuff. Subscribe at www.planetnew.co. Finally, you can listen to past episodes of Naked Age or read the Behind the Episode blog at nakedage.co. You can also connect with me on Twitter at nakedagepod. If you enjoy Naked Age and you appreciate what I'm doing, please feel free to reach out to me. Send me a note. Ask me a question. You can reach me at planetnude at substack.com. I'm Evan Nix. Thanks for listening.